Hello and welcome to Court Games, a Legend of the Five Rings podcast, funded by the Legend of the Five Rings Discord Patreon community. This podcast will focus on the role-playing game stories and lore for Legend of the Five Rings. I'm Korva. And I'm Kikita Kaori. And we have a guest today. Hello, Nate. Hello, happy to be here. We are going to introduce Nate in a little bit, but first, news. Today's podcast, we're going to be going through the winner of the One Sheet Adventures Contest. We are going to be looking at the Heroes of Legend Chapter 2 fiction, and we'll also be looking at the results that have been released of Impossible Task, the choose-your-own-adventure that came out a little while ago. We had done with the Discord and online community overall a one-sheet adventures contest. It was uh, dreamed up by Sebastian uh, Sebas, our editor, and it was judged by Max Brook, who was the game designer for uh, Legend of the Five Rings 5th Edition, or at least one of the major game designers. And we have the winners in. The winner overall was The Sword of Love by Nate, who is our guest today. Hello, Nate. Thank you. Congratulations. Uh, Second place was Where Tiny Lilies Bloom by Matt Dixon or Niall. And the third place was The Grandparent Trap by WHW on on Discord. And runners-up were Love Letters by Seabass and Lady Doji's Comedy of Errors by Crimson Gold Agonies for very different reasons. But anyway, congratulations, Nate. Thank you. I mean, it was uh, really an honor to be selected. There were some really good entries out there. (laughs) Could you tell our listeners a non-spoilery version of what your one-page adventure is about? Sure. So Sword of Love is about having a secret admirer of one of the player characters. And that secret admirer happens to be an exceptionally skilled duelist who is causing all sorts of shenanigans in the province. And the provincial daimyo uh, tasks the players with getting this person dealt with one way or the other, or else they'll face severe punishment. That sounds like an interesting conflict for our poor defenseless player characters, which is exactly what we want. (laughs) Uh, so tell us a little about about how you put this together. Were there any particular sources or inspirations that you used for this adventure? So actually, the seed that I got this adventure from is actually a side quest in The Witcher 3, where there's this very early side quest where you run across this obnoxious duelist who says that he has tasked himself to win 100 duels to show his love to this woman. Uh, and it's a really easy kind of joke throwaway side quest. But what struck me was, well, well, how does the woman feel about all of this? Does she know that this buffoon is out there dueling all these people in her name? And so that was where it's intersected with the theme of romance for the challenge. Mm. And giving the players this task, well, okay, how do you deal with this admirer who is causing all sorts of ruckus for you? And I felt that being responsible for someone else's actions is kind of one of those themes that runs in the undercurrent of L5R as a setting. And so I thought it might be nice to find a way to use that twist. Oh, I like that, it. That's really interesting, yeah. I haven't played Witcher 3, so you remember that quest? Yeah, yeah. And and, and I, yeah, I do remember it. And it's interesting, the idea of inverting that in that way, I think is really interesting. <laughs> Have you run this adventure for your players? 
So no, uh, this so actually I was shamed into making this entry by WHW, uh, who beat me up pretty bad on Discord about not entering something. And so this was really like I think it was turned in actually on the due date, and so I haven't got a chance to run it yet. Although currently as designed, it's intended to be a fairly new player friendly premise. So the uh, the actual secret admirer is using the uh, wandering duelist template from waves the the daimyo is just using provincial daimyo from the crb the daimyo son is using the loyal bushi the the crane character who's causing these un, uh, unsightly poems to produce be produced uh, in the province is just using the seasoned courtier uh, and then the the ronin bad guy at the end is just using the skillful ronin so it's it really just pulling things very basic and then realizing that i couldn't fit them in one page and taking them all out again if you had to take a guess, if someone was wanting to run this and they're looking over it, how long would you reckon this would take to run, would you say? This one is a little bit squishy because it's essentially not entirely linear. There are a couple of different uh, nodes to interact with. So opening with being summoned by the, the daimyo and being taken a task. You know, so that is basically one scene you can bank on running that could go, you know, depending on your players, anywhere from 10 minutes of, like, okay, yes, this is a problem, let's go and do it. You know, to, there are players who just love being in court and talking about court stuff. And so uh, there's a little bit of squish here. I'd say that if you were being pretty uh, economical about it, you could possibly get the whole thing run and done in two hours. But this might also be something that, depending on how complications you want to add you know the daimyo tasks the players with solving this problem in three days and so you could find all sorts of shenanigans to maybe drag this out to either four hours or even a multi-session do you have any bonus tips for us running this adventure anything you couldn't fit into one page so i think the thing that uh, really is sort of the heart of the adventure is remembering back to high school or your first job or some other like very early formative experience and what it was like to have someone be really into you that you definitely did not want to be involved with, and using that as kind of like the emotional core of the adventure. So obviously, the if the if the player is thrilled about having a secret admirer dueling people in their name, you've picked the wrong player. Like you, you kind of want this to be something unpleasant for them to try to explicate or extricate themselves from. Was there any particular? What was the biggest challenge of making this a one-page adventure? Well, I think the biggest thing for me is that I feel like the the one-page adventure format, you know, if I was doing this in Pathfinder or Dungeons & Dragons, then one page, what do I need? I need an NPC roster and I need a map, like something very utilitarian. But with L5R, there, it's not um, inclined to those sort of utilitarian tools. So I can give you NPCs, but if it's system agnostic as per the instructions, and that's not super helpful. And so it's it was really a struggle to stretch it to something that was more than a challenge-focused strike format without packing in a bunch of mechanics that wouldn't be useful if you're like, well, I want to run this in fourth edition. That makes sense. Um, um, uh, congratulations again. <laughs> there were some very strong entries, and and we know Max was very very impressed by all the entries. So, yeah, thanks so much. Yep, thank you, and and please feel free to stick around and uh, you know chime in with your thoughts as we kind of go through some of the other stuff today, and uh, we any any other adventures that you decide to come up with, you know, we'd love to share them. Uh, we can host them on the Court Games Pod website, and I'm sure people would love to see them anyway. Thank you. <laughs> we will 
we will have links to all the entries, including Nate's winning one, and you'll be able to find those in our show notes. Yep. But uh, we have lots to cover this week. Um, we wanted to talk about the results of the Choose Your Own Adventure story, an impossible task, uh, in the Heroes of Legend uh, Chapter 2 that we're going to talk about uh, here in a bit. Tyler Parrott uh, released, revealed the results of the adventure. Um, we learned that the official result was that Commander Okoto Kayosuke was not brought back alive. So your original mission in this Choose Your Own Adventure, you are a ronin. You have been uh, hired to rescue Okoto Kayosuke, but uh, you have not succeeded. The Lion Clan did not recapture Four Roads Village. Oh, that, that did not happen either. You were not able to save the day there. However, you did, as the Ronin, uh, intercept from the messenger a bunch of secret scrolls. So that was uh, a story result that could come out, that you could intercept these scrolls. And if I recall in the adventure, if you do reach Kaisuke, he says... I'm dying, go get the scrolls instead. That's more important. Yeah. And your Ronin was honorable and did not read the scrolls' contents. So this came out actually really you know, significantly, in a significant fashion, in the story Heroes of Legend. It's, um, it's interesting, the actual percentages. This actually matched pretty much exactly my run-through, I think. I think I was one of the ones who I got to the guy, he said, get the scrolls. And mm -hmm. so I got the scrolls and not him, and I didn't look at it. And the Lion Clay did not capture the five four roads village. So I think, I yeah, my, my run through was pretty much exactly this, <laughs> which is interesting. Yeah. It looks like uh, about 75% of people did not bring back um, Kaisuke alive. And then... Um, yeah, it's 58%. 75% didn't get the commander, because I've got the, the percentages not right here. So Lion Clan did not recapture Four Roads Village, 58%. Mm -hmm. So that's significant, but but not obviously not quite as, as overwhelming. The scroll was intercepted from the messenger, and that's 79%. So that's really quite overwhelming. Mm-hmm. And the Ronin did not read the scroll's contents, and that's only 54%. So that's quite close. So it's a good adventure. I have gone through and made a single PDF of that run-through, basically. A, a run-through that, that has you doing exactly what you described. Going to Kayasuke, he sends you off to get the scrolls and comes back. Um, yeah. I, I set that up for the, the table is yours. But we'll have a link on that in the show notes, and, and hopefully we'll be able to give a read-through for people who are uh, not not readers, did not play, can keep it. Though you can continue to run through it as much as you like on the website. It's still out there. See what options you can get. Uh, did you do a run-through of this, Nate? I didn't even know that this was a thing. Like This was one of those very big community things that just somehow completely went under the radar, so I was... I was both like thrilled to see that this is something that they were doing and then crushed like, oh no, this was a really cool thing that I totally missed out on. But I would be really curious to know like how many people actually participated because they have the percentage, but there's nothing of like the actual community engagement. Yeah, yeah. 
That would be interesting to know. Well, you could go through it now and you could see as many endings as you, as you, <laughs> as you want. <laughs> and then we had a fiction this week. Uh, it was it was good fiction. Um, it's Heroes of Legend Chapter 2 by Tyler Parrott. Uh, in summary, the summary, Ikoma Sonari and Matsubiona, who we last saw in Cold Autumn Harvest, traveled to Toshirambo after their failure to hold Four Roads Village. That was the village that you were protecting in An Impossible Task. Carrying the scrolls they had retrieved from a Commander Okoto Kayasuke, scrolls that told Sonari that her own troops had been deprived of supplies while troops on the crane front were well supplied, all on Ikoma Ujiaki's orders. She refrains from a preemptive strike on a, pre- on a unicorn patrol at risk to her own army in order to meet with Suko. She meets with Matsusuko in the lion camp, as well as Kakita Barahimi, Yoshi's wife, who is also there and also survived, sharing the details of Shoji's attack on the cr- throne and that... The Crane, Scorpion, and Phoenix are united against Shoju and about to march on Odesanuchi, Suko considers Sunari's information. She decides to recall Sunari's troops and join in the march on Odesanuchi to reclaim the honor of the lion. Mm -hmm. Big, (laughs) big revelations going on here. Yep. Quite a few of them. Yeah. Uh, So we can move on to Law Nuggets, of which there are a few. This takes place on the 15th day of the month of Hida, which approximates to December the 15th. This is about four days after Tsuko and Hotaru met uh, in Chapter 1. <laughs> right. It's in the winter. Um, there's plenty of snow, finally. Uh, so this is full-on. Full-on winter. Yeah, full-on full on winter. Uh, we have the situation described, as, as we've previously mentioned, the losses of the Forwards Village and Commander Kyotsuke are a result of the impossible task. So this is it coming into the official fiction and becoming part of the canon. <laughs> uh, so she talks about passing uh, the castle of the Swift Sword um, near Toshirambo. That is the home of the Akoto War College and and many Akoto schools. And uh, in this in the impossible task, uh, there was hope that that would bring help, but it didn't happen here. There's just not enough forces there. We also have mention of Tsunari's nickname, which is Little Viper. She visited the Unicorn Lands as a young child, and at one point, as young children often do, went missing. They eventually found her many hours later with her foot on the neck of a poisonous snake. Basically, if she had moved, it would have bitten her. Uh, so she had been stuck there for many hours, you know, showing uh, a lot of grit and determination. So this is a great testimony to her her skill and her endurance. And she took the name of that type of serpent, Tsunari, as her name at uh, Genpaku. Yep, we learned that Tsunari is the daughter of Ikoma Anakazu, but she and her mother were disinherited. So Anakazu, the Akoma Daimyo, could marry Shinjo Altansanai, which was in that curved blade story, the first unicorn fiction. That is why it says, why she says later in the story that Anakazu is not her father, only her general and her lord. 
And it sounds like they were actually pretty close because she has a lot of flashbacks of herself with her father in this story. And and this idea that she had to put him aside, it sounds like it was very painful to her. There's also mention of white face paint, which is traditional for Matsu death seekers who are preparing for battle. Whether this is... Um, a lot, of, a lot of folks seem to do a kind of kabuki-style makeup for various reasons. I don't know whether it's that or whether it's the white of death or <laughs> the the fancy makeup of the courts. But uh, the white face paint when going into battle is very traditional for certain certain Matsu. So uh, Sonari is actually making a pretty smart tactical choice here. Uh, Biona, Matsubiona suggests that the unicorn patrol following her could attack them while attack their army while their commander is away, and it would be more favorable to them. Uh, and Akoto's leadership says tactically it is better to appear strong, and the unicorn might well attack. But if Sunari attacks the unicorn patrol or has Biona attack the unicorn patrol, it would destroy the chance at having a favorable truce if the lion did want to withdraw from the front based on the revelations that uh, she had in those scrolls. Yeah. So she doesn't, she's kind of going on instinct and saying, no, I don't want you to attack them. But it's a really good instinct because uh, it's setting them up for a better diplomatic position. And I think that is very characteristic of how Sonari is portrayed, portrayed. She's very uh, able to see both sides of the battle, very much like uh, Totori is, though uh, more lower rank, more obedient. Yeah, more decisive, one mm-hmm. might say. Well, one thing that I really liked about that note was that it, it, it made tactical sense, I think, on a number of different levels, because you have this impulse of, let's go and attack because someone is within range and we can attack them. But then there's all those second and third order if the lion are in camp, then it's not like you have 500 bushy standing by like a video game character waiting to charge forward. You have to get people out of tents and put them in armor and load things in wagons. There's a whole yeah. process. Like one impulsive decision could lead to this whole movement of troops that you know, she waves off pretty effectively because you know, this would probably not be worth it in the long run, even if they won. Yeah. Yeah. There's uh, a lot of good thinking, which I, th- which I like. Uh, the the sack of Ononmura was mentioned, and that's the tax village that Tsunari destroyed to feed her troops in cold autumn harvests. So that's a, another tie back to that fiction. Yep. So Tsunari sees or hears a guard mention Lady Kakita, and she thinks it could either be the wife of Kakita Yoshi, the Kakita Daimyo, uh, who's Kakita Barahimi, who it actually is in the story. Or it could be the diplomat staying in Matsu Seishin's court. And so that diplomat who she's thinking of is uh, Kakita Asami. And we saw Asami escape said court in the story Tactical Maneuvers. So she's thinking it could be either, either one of those Lady Kakita. Yeah, she was kind of like, why is there a Lady Kikita at a lion encampment? But as it turns out, it was in fact Kakita Barahime, who is a hostage that was taken when Kyushin Kakita was 
overrun way back when. And Barahime, as well as Tsuko, were thought lost when the castle was destroyed. Uh, but no, here she is. So they both escaped the destruction of Kid and Kikita in some way, back in the story Daidoji. Mm-hmm. And honestly, there is clearly some kind of buddy cop shenanigan stories that we're missing out on that happened between the two, getting from where they were to where they are now. Because apparently they both were part of the – they both worked together in order, in some way to get here. And uh, I kind of want to hear their stories one day. This would be nice. Yeah, Tyler came in and said he wanted to hear them too. So <laughs> that would have been that would have been really good. Um, we'll 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 see. I'm not quite sure how that would would have worked out, but uh, apparently, uh, apparently, Lady Barahimi is quite the swordswoman as well. So, the narrative that Shoju wanted to incur with his opening of the Black Scroll is now definitely taking place, has set root in the minds of the Empire at large very quickly. Uh, Suko thinks to himself, he now reportedly sits on the Emerald Throne, having murdered the Emperor and declared himself in league with the Shadowlands. Uh, in the way that history does, everything gets merged together so that he, you know, opening the Shadowlands, murdering the Emperor is now one in the same. You know, it's all part of one one movement. Thinking, you know, showed you believing he will never be able to prove himself innocent anyway. You know, it makes the better narrative. Might as well make it work for him. And it has worked in that all the northern folk, with the exception, at this point, with the exception of the unicorn, are banding together and heading south to Otsanuchi. Although it looks like there are going to be overtures towards the unicorn so we're going to see how that works i'm sure pretty soon so yeah it's all it's all functioning the way he wanted let's just hope it it actually helps all according to keikaku yes <laughs> uh meanwhile we have word of lord isebo at yoji noshiro uh, yoji noshiro is the castle closest to kirin kakita so that's where they're heading next or that's where they would have gone that's where, yeah, that's where they would have gone. So that's the it, that's lo- the logical place for them to have gone because it was closer. Right. So um, there's obviously mention a lot in this story about the shortages on the unicorn front that are occurring because uh, basically because Ujiaki engineered those sor- shortages to happen in order to make the lion more aggressive to the unicorn in order to create this full-scale war that he's been working on between the lion and unicorn because he has believed that the lion can push back the unicorn or attack the unicorn, take ground. Um, the shortages on the unicorn front there are even more notable uh, if you... Because you can understand if there would be shortages on the crane fronts. Uh, the crane lines were rich, but the Daidoji do target supply lines specifically. And the uh, supply lines into crane lands, not sorry planes, but into crane lands itself, are pretty extended. Uh, the unicorn lands are harsher, so you need those supply lines more. But the supply lines run through the heart of Lionlands. 
they're out of reach of any Daidoji saboteurs or anything like that. So it should have been easier to get supplies to the Unicorn Front than to the Crane Front. But as we have learnt, a lot of those shortages were artificial and deliberate. Mm-hmm. So there's going to be some interesting things going on here. Anyway, I really like this story. This is Lion being Lion as uh, not your and Wharf people have been joking about Lion being Wharf or not not being stereotypically just aggressive. But yep, I, I mean even even Suko herself. Mm-hmm. Atsutsuko is saying, mm, maybe not war with the unicorn. Maybe that would be the smart thing to do. And maybe maybe I can actually put off my vengeance over my beloved betrothed for five minutes and actually help the entire empire, which is not something we've seen her do up until now, to be perfectly honest. And it's quite nice to see her doing exactly that. And Tsunari is just a great character. I really, I really like her. So it's nice to see the lion acting like the other side of the lion that we keep hearing about, but very rarely see in the fictions. Seeing a sympathetic lion uh, fiction was really helpful. And if in any way it can lead to the moonshot of the Matsusuko redemption arc, where she wins the tournament and gets to fight Akuma no Oni, then that would be the best. Even if I feel this pit of dread in my stomach, that it will be the meme character Katsuo. <laughs> I no, well, I'm entirely happy for that. That particular, I was worried about the meme character Yoritomo, but we'll see. We'll see. There, there are many options, and there are actually a lot of very good options in in the in the, the brackets. But we'll see. We'll see. I just feel this deep empathy towards Suko as being a character who whose actions always make sense in the context of the setting and the fiction. And is very consistent and driven and active, and yet in somehow both the old lore and the new lore has always been handled very badly because it seems like there a lot of readers and card players and RPG players were like, oh yes, well, the the samurai code is very restrictive and people should be able to to break out of that to do what's right. And then Matsusuko says, Yes, I agree, and I will do this thing I think is right. And everyone says, Well, no, not like that. <laughs> well, as far as I can tell. Tradition is not a strong value in the roleplay game and gamer set. And so it's hard for us to uh, empathize with a... It's harder for us to empathize with a clan that values tradition the same way we would empathize with a, a clan that values, say, uh, innovation. It's just... It's not... It's not you know, both the demographic and I think part of you know being somewhat on the outs and somewhat uh, you know varying views on religion, other things like that. That that's just a hard thing for gamers to empathize with a lot, at least traditionally. So I agree, but I think my counter to that is that. Matsuko uh, comes from a clan that is the status quo clan, you know, Lion. Their brand is the status quo, you know, the upholders of Uchiho. But then Suko comes along, who is a character who's basically like an RPG player character who says, wait, the status quo is dumb, and there are lots of things that could u- be, fi- be used uh, for some fixing. And the best way and fastest way to fix this is with decisive, overwhelming violence, which is the reaction of plenty of players and readers out there. 
Yeah, but yeah. but there's but there's then seeing this written narrative character do it, everyone's like, ah, it's just you know, you're doing it wrong. Well, one would argue that that simply saying simply if you can say the status quo is not good, that doesn't mean that everything against the status quo is good, which is a very a common mistake I hear a lot of people using. Just anything that changes the status quo is good. And it's like, well, I can come up with a whole bunch of status quo changes that you would not like. We just clearly showed you. So. Uh, Suko's doing a lot of those in this in in her fiction. She is she is starting a lot of fights uh, that really she probably shouldn't be. I don't know if I would say that her her that she is actually. Well, we have to define status quo. There is the status quo of the empire. Okay, the, you know the the solid the steady state of the, how the empire uh, generally is, and and she is kind of going against that. But she is not at all going against the beliefs and tradition and priorities and stuff of the Lion Clan. She is not countering that. She is basically saying the current age, you know, the current times is not where we're supposed to be. We need to, you know, our current leader is not a real lion leader, not not the way it's supposed to be. So we have to take this dramatic action to get to where we should be. So it's almost it's more uh, active in a in a reactionary sense than in a you know, breaking from the status quo. It's like going back to a different status quo, an older. Yeah, so I would agree. But again, I think that goes back to the sort of Campbellian arc. That you see in something like Star Wars, like, hey, we have a we have a bad status quo in A New Hope. I am coming to restore the old good status quo. <laughs> but it is it is it is rooted in a tradition, a model of how how it should be. In her eyes, she's not creating new. Uh, she's bringing things back. In many ways, I think in, overall, she's just very driven by honor, but also by her, her broken heart. Uh, and I think that that, especially in New 5R, is, is the paramount thing. She, she is brokenhearted, and uh, she is lashing out, but she has big armies to lash out with. Um, little little WandaVision-ish. Um, <laughs> I've been watching that. Uh, she's, she's got, this doesn't mean she's not logical and sensible and able to do it, but the deep down heart of her, her actions are all about her love for Arasu and how the world seems wrong because he is gone. And it, you know, you could say, oh, in battle, he should have expected it. She should have expected it. That doesn't matter to her heart. Yes, probably she should have expected it and accept it. But that's not how grief works all the time. So anyway, I thought it was a great story. Yeah. So I was definitely here for it. I am always here for sympathetic lion stories and anything that shows Suko in a good light. And I am prepared to be incredibly bitter next week when Toshimoko beats her. I don't know who will, who will. Toshimoko is on the other side of the bracket, I believe. No, no. Yeah. Not. We'll see. Who's who was she? Was she up against Toshimoko? She was. 
Uh, oh, mm, oh, I, I don't know if, if it's between those two. Then definitely Suko. <laughs> Sorry, gotta disagree there. Toshimoko's had his had his he's had his day. Not in New Five R. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's an old man, old drunk man. Off screen days. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I've had barely half off-screen, a off-screen POV counts. story from him. <laughs> <laughs> I gotta wait for we'll blue flag here. Yeah, anyway. (laughs) (laughs) Having bitterly disagreed about who should win what. (laughs) Oh, it'll probably be Katsuo. So, all right. Well, uh, I think that's it for us this week. Thank you very much for coming on and talking about the story with us. Uh, it, it, it was uh, short on the lore nuggets, but that's okay. We'll have another story probably today. <laughs> yeah, yeah. As of this yeah. recording, yeah. Thanks for having me. It's great to have you on. We wanted to give a call out to our sister podcasts and Patreons. Uh, our Court Games podcast, including the L5R LCG podcast, our Live from Tokyo podcast, Tokyo the Five Rings, and our two actual play role-playing podcasts, Crimson Gold Agonies and Fortune and Strife, as well as our friends at D20 Radio. Our content is funded by the Discord Patreon, which supports our editing costs, as well as our website, where we have long-term information, forums, RPG tools, and lots more. For our patrons, we have special bonus content like Adventure Seeds, early access to our AP podcasts, and more. Online, you can find us at courtgamespod.com. On Twitter, we are twitter.com courtgamespod. And you can find us on Patreon at patreon.com slash courtgames. Nate, do you have a uh, way to show your content? Do you have a Twitter or anything you wanted to share? For anything that I have worth sharing, I'll eventually put on Court Games Pod. <laughs> All right. Okay. Well, thank you very much for coming. Uh, this is that's it for us this week. This is Kikita Kaori. May the fortunes favor you. And I've been Korva. And until we meet again, keep your jade handy.